0: Alright, we ready? I am ready. We made it to Hebrews 11, five, no, six. We made Hebrews 11, um, two weeks ago. I was thinking of taking on seven, but I bailed out on, on that one. I bailed out on that. No, 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 we're, <laughs> we're going to be content with five and six here right now. <laughs> Because there's no way we're taking on all of Noah in one week along with Enoch, so we'll just, uh, we'll do the one, and I pulled out some stuff from the book of Enoch that'll be some fun. All right, Father, we thank you for a good night to be together, fellowship together to keep ourselves sharp. We thank you, Father. as we gather here, your Spirit is here to speak to us, and we have ears to listen. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. (laughs) All right, last week we looked at Cain and Abel, that Abel's sacrifice was superior. Scripture read it this way, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. That word there for witness, by the way, comes from the Greek word we get the word martyr from. God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. So even though Abel had gone on, what he did still continues to speak. So the comparison was between Abel and Cain. And with Abel, he did what God said. Cain, he did what he wanted. And that's still the problem we have with a lot of people. We're not doing what God said. We're doing what we want. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. I don't think it it's, it should be done that way. I think it ought to be done this way. Well, we think makes no difference. If God says to do it a certain way, that's the way we've got to go about and, and do it. I heard um, one person made a, a note on this, and not something I really had thought about too much and was not able to give it too much time, but I'll throw it out here for you if you want to give it some time on your own. The name for Cain, or the uh, the name Cain means acquired. The name for Abel, the name Abel means disillusioned. Now, here's the thing that uh, that was being brought out about this. Remember when they fell, there was a prophecy that was made. And that prophecy was that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. So in the minds of Adam and Eve, they are expecting the seed of the woman to do something. Who was the first seed? Cain. Cain. That they could have, and I don't know this, again, I didn't put a whole lot of thought into this, I just heard it and thought, I'm going to work on that a little bit, but I didn't get to do that. Um, they They may have felt that they had acquired Messiah. And then when Abel came around, they may have determined that he was not, and they may have become disillusioned. I guess maybe Cain did not show Messiah qualities <laughs> <laughs> at a very young age. <laughs> no, this is not the Messiah. <laughs> it's just, No. They saw some things in him and he was not one that was out to please God. So anyway, that's just something to, to think about. I hadn't really seen those uh, definitions of those names put out there before. But you can ponder them as you would wish. But here we get to verse 5. And again, what we've what we have done here in the first 10 chapters is we have looked at the superiority of faith to that of the law. And he has shown how through each dispensation that faith has been the primary object of salvation. Each person was saved through faith. That there was no one who was saved by the law. So faith was not something that is new, but faith is something that was continued on. And now he's going to go through in here in Hebrews chapter 11, and he's going to pull out individuals who showed faith. And so he goes all the way back to the beginning with Cain and Abel. That's in the, the, the first group of people. And then he goes from there up to Enoch. And then we're going to go over into Noah. And Noah is going to usher in another dispensation the time after the flood. But by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now for most of these patriarchs, there will be listed one thing. For most of them, there's a couple of them that they list of, uh, several. But for most of them, they pull out one thing out of their life that testifies of their life of faith. It gives, this, is the, this is the one thing we can pull out. The big thing that we can pull out that identifies them as a person of faith. For most of the people that he is going to bring out, the thing that identified them is something that had never happened before. For most of them. It's not quite all, but but just about all of them, he pulls out something that had never happened before. And the first one here that we see with, with Enoch is that he was taken. Up until then, no one had ever been taken from the earth. Now, When we read over the passage in the Old Testament, it seems like God just arbitrarily took him. That God just decided, I'm going to to rapture you. But look at what he says here. In the beginning, by faith. That means it's not an act of God. Doesn't it? Because if it was an act of God, it wouldn't be by faith. It's just something that God wants to do. When the judgment comes, that's not an act of faith. It's not by faith God judges the world. Our faith is not involved. God says, I'm going to judge it. It's going to happen. God says there's a new uh, a new earth that's going to come. We're not believing God for a new earth. It's going to happen because God said it's going to happen. The rapture, our faith has nothing to do with the rapture. The rapture is coming because God's going to do it. So there are some things that are God's choice. God says, I'm going to do this, and it's not by faith. But this one, he starts off, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. So this is an act of faith on his part. In order for it to be an act of faith and not an act of God, from what we have learned so far, what parts do we need to see in this? First off, God must have said something. Because the only way that Abel's sacrifice was superior to Cain's was because God said what a sacrifice should be. And Abel listened to that. Cain did not. That's what made his superior. And Abraham and all the, and Noah... We, we already know ahead of time, you know, Noah's in here. Noah heard from God. What did he hear from God? Mm-hmm. Build an ark, and going to flood the earth. Mm-hmm. There never been a flood before that they, they had seen. There had been one before that, but they had never seen a flood. He says it's going to rain. They'd never seen rain. Be a first time for that. So a lot of these things were were first. God must have said something to Enoch in order for Enoch to say, all right, I will believe that and bring that about. Because in order to be by faith, you have to hear from God, mix faith with it, and then receive it. That's what it means to be, be by faith. So by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. So this thing will be an action of faith, an action that would give a testimony to the world then and future. Just like Abel's gave a testimony to the world that was there then and to those who would come afterwards. So even after he was dead, it would still testify the same thing for Enoch. So what was going to go on with Enoch would be a testimony to the world. And it was a testimony to those people there. So if he had just been walking with God, talking and God says, hey, tell you what, because this is how it was always explained to me. He was walking with God and God said, you know what? We're closer to my house than we are yours. Just come on over. (laughs) I remember somebody taught that one time and just said that. I don't know. It just sounded good. (laughs) I just kind of picked it up and, and took that. But then it wouldn't be by faith because then he's completely uninvolved. It's only God that's involved. But he says that by faith, Enoch, he was taken, did not see death, didn't taste it. That hadn't happened before. So somehow the word had to come to to him for this. Now, before we get into all the fun parts of that, let's take a look at this, this one aspect of it. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. He wasn't found. If you don't find something, what does that mean? You were looking for it. You were looking for it. Now, we only have one other episode where someone was taken by God. And that would be Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2. I didn't copy this in. I am not getting used to this new computer thing here yet. Well, it's not really a new computer. It's a computer a couple of years old, but I want my old one working. Anyway, let's read it here. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Hold right there for a minute. Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? Which means he knew and so did others. So God spoke it to Elijah, and Elijah must have spoken it to others, or at least God spoke it to other people about Elijah. But it was spoken beforehand. This is not a surprise. So, as by faith Enoch was taken, we could probably say the same thing of Elisha. He knew it, he believed God for it, but it's already happened before. It wasn't a brand new thing. For Enoch it was a brand new thing. All right, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh how that's actually translated into Hebrew. I'm thinking he just from the tone of this, I'm thinking, Yeah, I know. Shut up. <laughs> that makes more sense to me. <laughs> Verse four. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now, hold up right there. Now, we know that he is going to be tr- translated. He, God has told him that he would be translated. He would be taken up. But he said, God has sent me here. And so he went there and he says, "Now, now, now God has sent me to go over here to Jericho. You stay here. Um, God has sent me to journey. which means he, we're on the last day, he's going to be on the earth, and God says, I want you to go here, I want you to go here, and I want you to go here. Because Elijah's not going to say, God sent me to here, if God didn't say. So God sent him. For whatever he's supposed to accomplish on this last day here on the earth, He uh, he does that. For the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Verse 5. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know? To Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. So here's another group of people who know what's going to happen. Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you Today, it's not even a mystery. We know when it's going to be. Is it possible that Enoch also knew when it was supposed to be? We'll show you something that'll that'll help you with that. Verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing him at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, how many of you understand splitting the Jordan apart for a whole nation to come across? How many think it's overkill split the whole thing apart for two guys? <laughs> Apparently, Elijah didn't think so. So this is what he did. Verse 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. So he knows. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Verse 10. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Verse 11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. Now, what do you talk about with a prophet like Elijah when you know that the Spirit of God is coming down to take him and you are in your last hours or minutes in his presence? I'm sure we don't talk about the weather, current events, political news. What do you talk about with a man of God? Mm. It's one of those things when I get to heaven I want to run the videotape. <laughs> I want to go back to that day. What were they talking about? Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed... He said, send them. Therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days but did not find him. And when they came back to him for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? So they searched for Elijah and they what? They didn't find him. him. And as it was in the days of Enoch, (laughs) so it was in the days of Elijah that when he was taken, apparently men went out to try and find him. But as it was with the days of Elijah, apparently other people heard that this would happen. And some people decided not to believe it and to go out to search. Some uh, interesting similarities between that. Now up until this time, no one had ever been taken away by God. So for God to say he was going to do this, this uh, this is quite a thing. Now, I put in this in your outline, and I did not give you any blanks. I just left you blank space. You can write in there, here, whatever it is that you want to. What does by faith mean? Well, first off, God must have spoken something ahead of time. Because you cannot have faith without the word of God being spoken. So God must have spoken something ahead of time. Second part, some time would pass for Enoch to begin to have faith in it he would not have said it to him and on the same day taken him. There had to be some time in order for him to develop faith in the thing that God spoke because it says that he was taken by faith. So that faith had to grow and that faith had to become developed. Especially when you are believing God for something that has never happened on the face of the earth up until then. Here's the third thing. Once he becomes believing, the thing would happen. So more than likely, when God first spoke this, it was not something that Enoch was going to believe. It was, it was a stretch for him. But he got himself to the point where he believed it. Same way as Abraham, God spoke something to him, and though he believed it at first, he then wavered on it. But the last thing, this would make what God said at first along the lines of a promise. And he had faith for it and, and, and believed it. Now if we go back to Genesis chapter 5, Verse 18, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and his sons and daughters, so all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. 65-year-old dad. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Now I've heard people teach from this that for the first 65 years of Enoch's life he was not saved. Because it says that after he begot Methuselah Enoch walked with God for 300 years. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true and I think that takes away from what happened here. Because you all know by now the name Methuselah means something. It will come When he is gone. It was a prophetic name. Which means God had spoken something to Enoch. He believed it. And named a son after it. And if you count up the years. Methuselah dies in the years of the flood. Some people have said that Methuselah died in the flood. No he did not. He died in the year of the flood. And that marked the year. That it would come. So basically, you knew as long as Methuselah was alive, that the prophecy of Enoch would not come about. So all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty-five years. Isn't that interesting? Three hundred and sixty-five years. What else is three hundred and sixty-five? Days in a year. Hmm. Would that be a coincidence? because God could have picked any year to do this, right? And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Now in Luke 3, 37, we have him listed in the genealogies of Jesus. But beside that, we also have him mentioned in Jude. Of course, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam Prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is Jude quoting a prophecy. This particular prophecy is only the second prophecy written. The first prophecy written is in the book of Genesis. The first prophecy recorded in the Word of God is that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's the first word of prophecy. The next prophecy we have about things going on in the end times come from our man Enoch. And Jude does not quote from the Old Testament as we have the Old Testament. He quotes from the book of Enoch, chapter 1. And that's where you see that, that quote from. That's where you find that prophecy from. Here's what it says. Let's go back to the, the beginning. Now, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. When does the Lord come with his saints? After the tribulation, not the rapture. He comes for the saints at the rapture. He comes with the saints the second advent behold the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him that's the quote that Enoch prophesied about the end times Enoch prophesied about the end times Way back. Of course, uh, they, they tell us that he is the seventh from Adam. He's the seventh generation from Adam. Hmm. There was an Enoch sooner. Cain had a son by the name of Enoch named a city after, after him. That is not the same Enoch. This is a different Enoch, so don't, don't get that confused. But then Jude goes on. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that they would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. You could almost write that about people today. A whole lot of people out there trying to cause divisions, get people to focus on things outside of the word of God, so forth. We don't need to be, we don't need to be messing with all that sort of stuff. You know, here in Philadelphia, we could, it could hit home for some of us. We saw something kind of new that happened over here. How many remember? I didn't, I didn't, I heard some stuff about it. I didn't spend any time. I didn't lose any sleep over this at all. But you know, the whole fiasco that was going on with the uh, president and the invitation to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia Eagles didn't want to go and all that sort of stuff. And you had two groups of people. One group is uh, in favor of the president. And they wanted to get you mad at the Philadelphia Eagles. Then you had another group who didn't like the president who wanted to get you mad at the president. I didn't do either one. All that I did, I sat there and I heard about this sort of stuff. You know the first thing that came to my mind? There was a particular feast recorded in the Word of God in which the person who threw the feast gave it in the honor of those who were invited. For which... They declined. And then some of them just declined and just kind of, no, I'm busy, and just went off. And other people actually beat the messengers who came out to tell them the feast was going on and killed some. And then it says that that person who was giving the feast got his army and went after those people and killed them. And then they said, now go out into the highways and get whoever you want. That's the first thing I thought of in comparison to it. Now, I'm not putting Trump in the, in the place of God by any means at all. <laughs> because that certainly is not the case. And the Philadelphia Eagles, by turning it down, I did not uh, put a place in hell for themselves either. But sometimes we lose sight of this, of this whole thing. My first thought of this was, if this is no longer seen as an honor by either, either side then certainly it is time for it to go. If all that it is is a statement about whether I'm for this or against that, then certainly it's time. I just assume that they just, just quit it all altogether instead of having to be an issue. But did you know there were, there were groups that would do that? They're trying to get you mad at the Philadelphia Eagles because they dishonored the president. Then other people are trying to get you mad at Trump because he canceled the thing off. But apparently uh, only, what, 10 people were going to make it to the thing? So uh, he had other things to to do. I just was thinking about this. So my thought was I want to make sure that I honor my God and that none of my actions dishonor Him. But don't let people distract you. Don't let people divide you. Because that's what they try and do. Happened in Jude's day. It's happened in our day too. Don't let them do it. Just laugh at them. I was neither invited (laughs) (laughs) nor did did I do the inviting. So really, this thing had absolutely no effect upon me at all, because I wasn't going either way. <laughs> so, But you see, not, we don't want to look at it that way, because here's an opportunity to divide people. And that's what they're after to do. Jude wrote that. We could still write that today. But he quoted from the book of Enoch. and Some people see he gave some credence to this, to the, to the book of Enoch. And there are some things inside of the book of Enoch, folks, that are uh, quite substantial. So let's take a look at this, he, about his um, life that pleased God. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was found because God had taken him. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So of all the things that mark the life of Enoch, what he pulls out is the fact that he believed God to be translated from one place to another. Now, God must have had a purpose in this. And so uh, I've copied out here part of, and I don't have it exploded, so I have to use my glasses to read this. But this is a part of the uh, book of Enoch. If you haven't read the whole thing, you can go out there and read it' nothing, not going to hurt you don't don't feel like well it's not in the Bible I'm, no it's not going to hurt you he's got some interesting things to, some very interesting prophecies that he is uh, that he's written in the in the book this this guy saw some stuff but in the ninety second chapter, what is amazing about this chapter is in its ninety third chapter in uh, some translations is what I'm told I'm reading from the ninety second chapter and I think this is the Lawrence translation we're kind of picking up here at uh, verse 4 he actually writes in here a prophecy from his time all the way up until the end times and depicts things that would happen in between did did y'all know that this was in the book of enoch from his time all the way up until the end times and called out a lot of things that would happen that did happen. So here's a here's the verse four. I have been born the seventh of the first week. He divided this thing into I believe it's ten weeks, ten weeks. And the person who wrote this article, he he put a time frame on each of these uh, each of these uh, weeks. I don't necessarily see the time frame, so I left all that of it out. Um, it just got into some some weird stuff, and I don't see. According to his thing, each week was exactly the same period of time, and I don't necessarily see that it has to be that way. I could see each week being a different period of time. But he puts it this way. I have been born the seventh of the first week, which would mean the end of the first week is his, his birth. Towards the end of the first week is his birth. While judgment and righteousness wait with patience. Huh. While judgment and righteousness wait with patience. Judgment is building up for the earth. What happens after the life of Enoch? Judgment is poured out in the form of the flood. In the second week, great wickedness shall arise and fraud shall spring forth. In that week, the end of the first shall take place in which mankind shall be safe. The end of the first shall take place in which mankind shall be safe. Verse 5, in contrast to the first week of righteousness, the second describes a world in which wickedness and fraud arise. Wickedness and fraud are seen as arising. Here's the the rest of of this 5 and 6. Therein the first consummation will take place, but therein also a certain man shall be saved. Let me read that again to you. Therein the first consummation will take place, but therein also a certain man shall be saved. He's speaking of one man being saved. What do you think he's referring to? Could it possibly be him being pulled off of the face of the earth? In which case, he would know about it. Then it was part of the prophecies that God had given him. And he had faith to believe put it in the prophecy. Subsequently, in the fourth week during his completion, the visions of the holy and the righteous shall be seen in order of generation after generation shall take place and a habitation shall be made for them. This is the fourth. This is in the fourth week that this would be um, basically it sounds like that Israel is finding a home. During its completion, the visions of the holy and the righteous shall be seen. The order of generation after generation shall take place, and a habitation shall be made for them. Now, the generation upon generation seems to be a prediction of the book of Genesis, that Moses would be writing the book of Genesis, and he would write down the genealogies that would take place. And he wrote down the generations upon generations, because that's what we look at to see from Adam all the way up who was, who begat who. and a habitation shall be made for them. In the fifth week, during the completion, the house of glory and of dominion shall be erected forever. It is possible that what is in mind here during this fifth week is the making of the temple and the house of David. That could be what is the house of glory and of dominion. Afterwards, where's my sixth week? That was the fifth week. There's my sixth week. Okay, printed on both sides. Got to make sure I flip the pages. After that, in the sixth week, all those who are in in it shall be darkened. The hearts of all of them shall be forgetful of wisdom, and in it shall a man arise and come forth. The man there is capitalized. I think the indication is that the man would be And during its completion he shall burn the house of dominion with fire. And all the race of the elect root shall be dispersed. He predicts the dispersion of Israel. After. After the Christ. Afterwards in the seventh week a perverse generation shall arise. Abundant shall be its deeds and all its deeds perverse. During his completion, the righteous shall be selected from the everlasting plant of righteousness and to them shall be given the sevenfold doctrine of his whole creation. Now we're going to see the perverseness that came out because after, the, uh, after this point you had the dark ages, the, the middle ages, where the church became extremely corrupted. And it was not a certainly not a pretty time for all that. Um, there are some notes in this about even America possibly being in on, on that prophecy and I did not study it quite as thoroughly as I probably would have liked to pull all that of it out. But let me go on to verse 13. Afterwards, there shall be another week, the eighth of righteousness, to which shall be given a sword to execute judgment and justice upon all oppressors. Sinners shall be delivered up into the hands of the righteous, who during his completion shall acquire habitations by their righteousness in the house of the great king shall be established for for celebrations forever in this some some are looking at the possibility that the creation of the United States of America is is possibly in in there because of the way that we furthered the the gospel and and uh took that out but I think a little more of that is a little more cryptic for me I was more focused on the beginning part of it here than the the last part. Sinners shall be delivered up into the hands of the righteous. The time frame in this certainly overlaps the time frame when the um, Islamic nations were slaughtering Christians. And uh, that could be uh, part of it as well. Verse, uh, go on to the next part. After this, in the ninth week, shall the judgment of righteousness be revealed to the whole world. Every work of the ungodly shall disappear from the whole earth. The world shall be marked for destruction, and all men shall be on the watch for the path of integrity. Well, that would certainly seem to be coming up around to the... Um I, wonder what, I just wanted to see what his time frame that he was thinking. See, this... This is where this guy loses me. He goes from a time frame, he thinks this is from the area of 1820 to about 2547. I don't see that at all. So after this in the ninth week shall the judgment of righteousness be revealed to the whole world. Every work of the ungodly shall disappear from the whole earth. The work shall be marked for destruction and all men shall be on the watch for the path of Integrity. Now, some of this is stuff that maybe has not occurred in our lifetime just yet. Verse uh, 16 After this, and after this, on the seventh day of the tenth week, there shall be an everlasting judgment which shall be executed upon the watchers, and a spacious, eternal heaven shall spring forth in the midst of the angels. The former heaven shall depart and pass away. A new heaven shall appear, and all the celestial power shall shine. With sevenfold splendor forever. I don't think that one's hard to figure out at all. Hmm. I mean, could you describe what Revelations depicts any better than what he did right there? This is Enoch, seventh generation from Adam. Before the time of Moses. Before any of the prophecies of Daniel. Jeremiah. Any of the others that you want to pull out? Ezekiel. All those things hadn't occurred yet. And that's just in one chapter of what he wrote. What kind of things was this man shown about the things of God? And he believed God for something that no other person had even known you could believe God for. God says, I'm going to come and get you. And he came and got him. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. He wrote about it, apparently, in the 92nd chapter of the book. I didn't even look up how many, how many chapters are there in the book of Enoch. Do we have an idea on that? If Stephen King is on, he'll, he'll know. He'll tell me. <laughs> is he on? All right, Stephen, I'm asking you a question here. <laughs> Let me know if you know how many chapters are in, that, uh, in the book of Enoch. He's going to get the cliff notes. <laughs> all right. Well, if you find out, let us know because this is just the 92nd uh, chapter of Enoch. And there's more what the, the guy wrote. So these are things that marked the life of Enoch. There was a book of prophecies. There was the future of, of man in Enoch chapter 92. The naming of his son Methuselah. Is that not an act of faith? For all those years, what's your name? My name is Methuselah. Why is your name that? Because my father saw a vision that the earth was going to be destroyed by a flood and said that it would happen in the year that I died. He didn't just go around saying my name is Methuselah because his father for 300 years had told him why his name was Methuselah and what would happen because Enoch preached the word of God in his day with boldness. He had strong boldness for the things of God. 105. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> What's that? You looked it up? Oh, I thought you were reading off of Facebook. All right. Thank you, Daryl. <laughs> 105. So after 92, there's still more to, more to come. But this, this, this man heard some incredible things from God, and he preached it to the people of his day. So when you think about what was going on in the days of Noah, Noah was not the only preacher. Enoch was out there and preached with boldness and heard things from God that people would not hear again for centuries. And wrote them down. Named his son. He was so convinced that what he heard from God was going to happen. He named his son as a mark of that prophecy. And it was not going to happen for almost a thousand years because of the grace of God extended that for so long. He was the oldest living man as a testimony to the grace of God. God waited even longer than most men's lifetime for them to straighten themselves out. Now I'm not saying they had to get themselves straightened out so they could get on the ark. They had to get themselves straightened out so they could get saved. Because the only ones that were allowed on the ark were the people whose generations were perfect. Mm -hmm. Not the people whose lives were perfect. Mm -hmm. So That was the last thing. preached with boldness the truth of God. Of all those things... The one that he pulls out is that he believed God to be translated. Hmm. That's that's the one of all of them. So before he was taken, faith characterizes before he was taken, faith characterizes our life here, not after we go on. We've got to make sure that faith is a characteristic of our life. Because after we go on, there's no faith. We see it. The faith comes when we don't see it. But I hear from God, this is what God said is going to happen. This is what God says he's going to do. And here's Enoch writing about end times. A new heaven and a new earth. Wow, that just astounds me that he was, he was writing about those things almost word for word with John Saul in Revelation. So Enoch would hear what God would say, believe it, and even though it was about things he had never seen, never seen happen, never heard of happening, he believed God for it. And it got to be so much to that point that he could see things that were happening way out in the future and speak of them as if they had already happened. This is This is so. It's not going to happen for a long time and he laid I just think it's amazing in one prophecy lays out the history that would be mankind. That's how untouched God was with what was going to happen. Then we get on to verse six, but without faith it is impossible to please him. remember at the end of our verse five for before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is not saving faith. This is not faith for salvation. Because according to the, according to the word, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say to the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That's a measure of faith that God gave. You get saved by the measure of faith that God gave. But after that, after you get saved, what are you doing with faith from that point on? That is what pleases God. It's not the faith for salvation. It's the faith that comes after that. That's what Enoch did. Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. And so did these other guys that he's getting into. They all had testimony that they pleased God. Because they took... Once they got got saved and believed God for, for salvation... Then they went on from that and they believed God for the things that he spoke and they did it in such a way that it was a testimony to the people that were around them and because of the testimony was of the people that was around them it stayed a testimony for people that would come later but if they didn't do anything with their faith if they were quiet about it if they didn't act on it they would have no testimony and it would have no effect on anybody afterwards. This is producing or living faith. Is it, that's the kind of faith that pleases God. The kind of faith that we live by. For the just shall live by faith. It is what we do after we get born again that pleases God. Now that word there, impossible. It is impossible to please God. We means weak, powerless, unable to be done. If you do not have faith to believe the things that God says after you get born again... That when God speaks something that you have faith in it, that you believe it. If you do not do those things, it is impossible to be pleasing to him. Because Enoch had this testimony that he was pleasing to God. That was his testimony among the people. It was his testimony during his lifetime. But without faith, he says, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. I've heard uh, you know, people teach on this, taught me about it. You can't make people believe that God exists. Sometimes we think it's our job. I have to get them to believe God exists. No, you can't. People are going to come to God, they've got to believe that God exists. If they don't want to believe that God exists, it's not up to you to prove it. Just relax. You're not here to prove it. Jesus didn't try and live that way. If you're going to come to him, you had to believe that God exists and that he sent his son. And if you're not going to believe that, well, I'm off to someone else. He didn't mess around with people who were going to be like that. He went on to somebody else. Because there's other people who came to him and they said, I believe. Jesus, son of David. What are they saying? <laughs> you're the Messiah. We believe. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, the, the enemy wants us to believe that God is not a rewarder, but God goes about to seek whom he may destroy. Why did this bad thing happen to me? Well, I guess I must have sinned. God's getting me. God's not pleased with something that I did, so this is happening. Well, that tornado came through and ripped everything up. Well, God took this one home Guess he needed him more than I did. See, they don't see God as a reward. They see God as a destroyer. And it just like the, the enemy. See, that's how I recognize what the media does today. Because the enemy does the same thing. And He is of, and they are of the father of the devil. I believe that with all everything in me because I see what they're doing. You see, the enemy is a destroyer. But he tries to get you to believe that God is. And most of the time you see people in the media and they're pointing their fingers at people for what they did. It's because they've done it. And time and time again, it has shown out to be that way. That they were covering up their own, their own sins. They blame this one for doing this. Truth is, they were doing it all along. It's ridiculous. But see, that's a, that's a tactic of the enemy. People in this world, are of their father, the devil, unless they do something about it. But become of your father, the heavenly father. So he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. But the enemy wants to get in and make you think that God took this one. God took this away from you. You didn't need to have this, so God took it away. That's not who God is. He who comes to God. If you're going to live the life of faith a life that pleases Him. You've got to come to God. You've got to believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But the enemy wants to get in there and he wants to get make you think God is not your rewarder. God is your judge. And He has taken these things away from you. He has judged you as no good. He has judged you as this. He has done judged you as ineff- ineffective inefficient, not worthy. And all these things have come away. But see, that's the enemy's tactics. That's not God's. Enoch was one who believed God. And it was a testimony to everyone around him. Everyone around knew Enoch. They knew that he served God. They knew that he heard from God. And when he heard from God, he spoke those things that he heard. He wrote them down. we got you say 105 chapters? I wonder how many pages that is. That sounds like a lot of pages. I don't know. I haven't written 105 chapters ever. That sounds like a lot of pages. But he wrote down about his God. Because it was important to him. And he preached it to the people that were around. And I'm sure that there are many a person in that area, in that time, who didn't want to hear it. Probably pressured him to shut up. to be quiet but I don't suspect that he did I don't suspect that he ever backed down on his boldness And that he stayed right there with it to the point that God says Enoch I am going to give you a promise and I need you to believe me I am going to take you from the earth and you will not taste death can you believe that well God no one has ever done that before I know but I'm going to do it with you and he got to the point where he said, God, I believe that you can do it and I believe that you will do it. And I imagine it was much like it was with Elijah that he knew when the day was upon him. And he knew today I will be departing. God is coming to take me. Are you sure no one's ever done that before? That God has never done that to anyone in the... And everyone has always died. Are you sure? I know it because God told me. And he believed God. And he got written up in the book of the Hall of Fame of Faith because he believed God for something that had never happened. But because God spoke it to him, he believed it. Now how much more should we be able to believe God for those things that it has happened? There have been people healed in the Word of God. Why is it so hard for us to believe that He would do the same for us? There have been people that have been delivered from their enemies in the Word of God. Why is it so hard for us to believe that He would do the same for us? There have been people in the Word of God who have pulled down strongholds, destroyed the works of the enemy. Why would that be so hard for us to believe? You see, in the book of Hebrews, he's going to be writing about this, and he's going to say, look at our cloud of witnesses. Look at all these people that have gone on before. Look at the things that they have done. And most of these people have done things that no one had done before. No one had done them. Now we have people that have done these things. How much more should we be people of faith? The natural person of this world needs to see something from God in order to believe. That's what natural people do. But the heroes of faith believe before seeing and leave a testimony for all. The heroes of faith believe before seeing and they leave a testimony for all. By his actions of faith, people saw that Enoch was of God. And this pleases This pleases God. What do our words, what do our actions testify about the God that we serve? Is it a life of faith? Believing God? Or is it a life of doubt, unbelief, worry, fear, anxiety? What are we testifying about God? What is the testimony that we are leaving behind? Because the one that Enoch left behind was astoundingly good. Father, we thank you for the people who have gone on before us who did things that no one else ever did. Believed God for things that no one else had believed God for. How much easier it is for us to believe God for the things that others already have. Because of those who have gone on before us, we should be even greater men and women of faith. Father, I thank you that you take us along a path to create that in us. And give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.